What is going on? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 103 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with tech reporter and journalist Mark Bergen. Thanks so much for checking out the show. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to Adult Education. Now, this show is all about learning new things, or maybe more about some topics you're already familiar with. I speak with experts across all fields to learn more about health, education, technology, mental health, and really just about anything. If you'd like to support adult education, the best way to do so is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. I love how word of mouth can inspire new people to check out the program. YouTube. We all know what it is. In fact, there's a strong possibility that you use it on a daily basis, whether it's just for laughs, to learn something new, or to find out what's coming soon to theaters. You can find just about anything you want on YouTube. But where did it come from? How did it become this massive juggernaut in the tech world? Does it get the credit it deserves for completely changing the internet game? We're going to talk about YouTube with tech reporter and journalist Mark Bergen. He spent the last two plus years interviewing current and former YouTube employees, creators, and so many more to find out the story about YouTube, what's really going on there. He published his work in a book called Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. This book is fascinating. I know I say that about a lot of books I read. This one really uh, just gripped me from the very start. I don't think people understand how critical YouTube has been to our society. It's not only changed the way we use the internet. It's also created all kinds of new industries and created jobs for millions of people, not to mention really being the basic ideas behind things like TikTok, Vine, Instagram, and more. Now, whether you love all those things or not, you have to give credit to YouTube for being the foundation for a lot of the things that we currently use on a daily basis here today. We talk about all these things in our conversation. I hope you enjoy my time with Mark Bergen. Mark, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, the uh, the pleasure is mine. This is one of those fascinating topics that I feel like uh, everybody uses but don't know a single thing about primarily. There you go. That was my, <laughs> that's my pitch. Uh, Mark, the book is called Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. I don't know if YouTube gets enough credit for essentially completely changing the game when it comes to content and social media. I mean, they were one of the first big things that came out and, you know, like anything, like even in music, when someone creates a new sound, they rarely get the popularity that will come down the line. So it's interesting how much we use it, but people don't really think about how it is the thing that kind of set us down the path. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of someone compared it to like an iceberg that we mm. <laughs> just sits there or, or a sleeping giant in, in social media. So, you know, YouTube set, uh, it did transform the way entertainment and media works in part just the way it was structured. Right? It's It's been free from day one. And the idea is that, you don't like information should be free and, and media should be free as a sort of founding philosophy of the company. Um, and that had a lot of resistance from, from traditional sure. media and, and, and legal resistance. And I, it's also sort of set the direction of, of social media. YouTube was the first platform and still to this day, kind of the only one really doing paying uh, online creators at, at any meaningful scale, which in, they started doing that in 2007. And now you're seeing... You know, we're seeing Spotify, Twitch, uh, Snapchat, TikTok, and Facebook, Instagram, all all trying to replicate that that model of we're going to actually build a, a system where we can share revenue with with the online with the users who are generating our, our media, and, and that's something where I, I feel like the, you know it's so important to study the history of YouTube because it's sort of repeating itself 
on other platforms. Mm, yeah, for sure. And one of the things you mentioned is that other platforms really haven't been able to mimic what YouTube does. And a lot of people that use YouTube, creators and all that, they really, they kind of like on a, on a whole scale, they like the way that YouTube compensates, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly in the history of the company, there have been buff, rough patches. Sure. Uh, and and we had, you know, I, the book talks about five years ago, there was a, a major boycott of advertisers. And then on YouTube, it was called The Adpocalypse, a great name. Uh, and, and and just overnight, like, you know, uh, the online creators, their incomes just fell, like like the rug got pulled out beneath them. For, for many, of like almost all of them, nothing that they did. Like the ones who were not violating any uh, any of YouTube's rules or really like making stuff that was very advertiser safe, they got impacted, and that happens all the time. Um, and I think the company has certainly made a lot of progress since then. Um, you know what I showed in the book, and I, I was really interesting in the reporting is that like this the online create despite the fact that YouTube built this world, it is pretty foreign to them as a company and Google as a company. Like they don't excel at people skills and they don't do like talent management. Um, you know, someone told me in the book, like Google throws software at a problem. They don't throw people. Uh, and so to this day, you still don't really, if your video has an issue, you, you know, it's usually an automated email. There's no customer support line. And unless you have uh, millions of, of, of subscribers, you don't you don't have like a point person you can call the company. Um, and that's just sort of the way, it, the way it has been and probably the way it always will be. That's kind of an interesting subject or an interesting line of thought there. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you obviously know a lot more about it than I do. But it seems to me that the creators, the major creators, if you will, are almost the ones designing YouTube because they're the ones that are going to complain or they're going to have a comment for them as a company and say like, hey, this isn't working for us. Can you take a look at this? And YouTube will listen to them because they're the ones that are driving a lot of the viewership on the site. But there aren't as many people behind the scenes that are kind of working on that stuff for Google or YouTube. You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of feels like the users are the ones that are deciding what's wrong and what's right for it. And then YouTube and Google are like, OK, sure, we'll take a look at that. I think I mean, they're certainly pretty responsive to their advertisers who sure. are, who are their, their, their primary, you know, YouTube is an advertising business. It, its primary customer is the advertisers. Uh, and so in the history, like they've, they've been uh, creators have uh, pointed out sort of things that like issues that they find as, as a problem. And sometimes YouTube has been slow or non-responsive and then it's often responded to advertisers. And that's just, that's the way, like the way that the, these companies work. Um, I think YouTube is more responsive now to creators um, in part because of the competition they're facing from, from TikTok yeah. uh, and from other platforms. And, and so they're, they're worried about, um, you know, uh, they're worried about some of their big stars going to, to Spotify as and going to, going to TikTok and, uh, and, and so that's forced them to, uh, put more resources and, and pay more attention. And I think probably a good thing for, for online creators and, and probably for viewers. The mystery behind YouTube and the way Google is a part of it too, is kind of fascinating and that you really don't know, like, like uh, when you look at Facebook, you've got Mark Zuckerberg. When you look at, um, different organizations now, I'm drawing a blank on all of them. Of course, when you look at some of these, you have like a face that you can pinpoint and go, okay, that's the person that I'm learning from. That's who I'm going to be talking to, you know, Apple and all that. But with YouTube and Google, there really isn't someone. It's just the logo. Like that's it. That's the YouTube logo. And like, that's where I'm going to watch some videos today. You know? Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's been, an, it's almost an intentional, I think I talk about this in the book a little bit. So YouTube is run by Susan Wojcicki and has been run by, uh, she's, she's been the chief executive since 2014. 
uh, Google was founded in her garage. She has uh, been at the company for, for a long, very long time and is one of like the senior Google executives and still very, very Google. She, she, one of her, before YouTube, she built their like AdSense program that, that monetizes blog, uh, online blogs and, and publishers. Um, she stayed out, like, she doesn't have a public persona. Most, most people on the street wouldn't know who she is. And most people in Washington, DC don't know who she is. And I think that's, that's very savvy of, of the company. And, and in some ways she's also, like I argue in the book, like not, you know, she certainly makes decisions and, and she can, she can steer the, the company in particular directions but in many ways like youtube is set on a course and the platform moves sort of in, in ways that the company can't can't control you mentioned something there too that people in washington dc don't even really know who she is and social media and i, I will lump youtube into a social media character character category uh, but social media has come under fire a lot over the last five or six years especially with just the spread of misinformation and again facebook's at the forefront of that other things are at the forefront of that youtube certainly has been mentioned but they're not the name that people associate with sort of the the evil that's going on online but the way the algorithm works on youtube it can very easily set people down a you know a vortex <laughs> of misinformation with the videos that pop up. So it's also interesting to me that they are not more of a focus on this. Yeah, I mean, I wrote the book in part to to, to pay more attention to this this uh, sleeping giant. Um, I think, I mean, there there one is one reason for that. I think it's just a structural reason. Like most people. Um, you know, myself included, like my experience with YouTube is like, I mean, I, I'm actually now like I, I have creators that I follow and I'm like a, a big fan of certain niches, but like I will typically use it as to look up something like a, a archival video or how to, um, I don't, you know, it's not like Facebook where you might see a relative posting something political or something you disagree with, right? It, um, and it's video is very hard to, it is, it is hard to moderate. It's hard to, um, it just takes a lot more work and effort to understand um, the context and the conversations and, and as a, and a like moderate, you mentioned misinformation, like they are, it like, these are hard problems that the company set up for themselves and, and video is harder to identify what, what is when it's misinformation and when there's a conspiracy than just a tweet sure. or a Facebook post. Um, and so I think that's a major reason why, why YouTube just hasn't been, is a kind of criminally understudied. Yeah, I mean, a handful of words in a post on Facebook or Twitter or something is easier to flag versus a 10-minute video where, like, are you going to actually have people watching yeah. all 10 minutes of every single video that comes out? Probably not. So it's going to be a lot more difficult to catch Absolutely. that. Yeah, that's so. it's so interesting yeah. how that all works. I mean, I primarily use YouTube to watch clips of like late night TV shows because I can never stay up late enough to watch them. So I, you know, so for me, like I'll watch Colbert and it will suggest Kimmel, then it will suggest Seth Meyers. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Like this is a, this is a rabbit hole I can go down and I'll have a great time today and get a good mm -hmm. laugh. But like you get stuck on one thing that's wrong. And like all of a sudden your suggested videos are going to change drastically, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, the company has, has made a lot of changes in, in that in recent years uh, after some, like the pressures you mentioned, like the, the, the pressure in the press from, from, I talk about in the book, like there, there was a lot of impression internally from employees being like, we should deal with, with this, with this issue. You know, Google is a company that prides itself on uh, information. Uh, and so there's this deep, like darkly comedic part of the book, which is like the world's biggest company that's like trying, you know, organizing the world's information is Google's motto. Uh, has this video service that that often fed people like you know flat Earth conspiracy theories, right? It, it became very popular on YouTube for a while. So the, what, what the company's response is to uh, what they uh, invent a category they called borderline videos, um, and that's you know if it's a video that doesn't break the rules, 
but is potentially kind of getting them into trouble or perhaps uh, potential harms um, for, for a while. Like they treated uh, videos about, uh, you know, vaccines, uh, kind of dubious videos about vaccines this way. And then last year, they after they started to be more, much stricter. And that's a powerful tool because the, the recommendation engine is is a powerful way and it drives a lot of the video traffic. Like, like you said on YouTube, like they, what they've shared is over 70% of all views come from those recommendations. So you remove a video from that system. Uh, it, it basically is a way to kind of kneecap its distribution. Um, but as you know, you the creators often don't know when that happens. You or I as a viewer don't know uh, when we're watching a video. This is borderline from like the, the company has deemed this as, as a borderline video. So the, what the systems they have in place are, are still pretty opaque. One of the things I thought was really interesting, too, while reading through the book, you know, they have algorithms and all that now. And obviously, YouTube has changed over the years that it's been around. Um, so now, like when I open it up, the only thing that I really see are basically sports talk shows and late night talk shows and maybe the occasional music video or something. Uh, but, you know, 10, 15 mm -hmm. years ago, if you were opening it up, there were a different set of people that were kind of deciding what was going to pop on that homepage. Yeah, I I didn't know that when I started reporting. Uh, there there was a team of they called them community managers, like the the nickname that, that one of them had uh, was Cool Hunters, and they were like picking out these. They, they were picking out videos to live on the homepage, and 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 they made her. You know, um, Jack Conti is runs Patreon. Uh, Pompola Moose it was his band. It, like that was another one of many examples. Like his video, like uh, someone at YouTube found it. It was a really like a, an amazing, delightful cover. Uh, and and launch careers. Um, and I think like had you did know, I talk about this in the book, they they were able to they treated the site sort of this is our community of of view, users and viewers, and I think a bit more protective. Um, and then it, but but to time Google for, for a couple of reasons, they kind of disbanded that system and replaced it with algorithms in in part because they Google just like couldn't didn't want to replicate that in every country in the world. Um, and, and software is, is cheaper. And, and they also thought that, you know, they, they didn't want gatekeepers picking what videos people would watch. Yeah. Uh, and so that you're, you know, you're much more inclined to maybe to like, to, you know, those YouTube, when you visit YouTube and it's based on your viewing history, you're probably going to want to watch those videos that pop up. Um, and they're exceptionally good at, at optimizing. Like they built their systems to optimize for, for you not just clicking through and watching, but but like watching as long as, long as you can. I know I'm kind of jumping around here, but I want to go back to the early days of YouTube, really when it was kind of founded. And I thought one of the interesting things too that I read was, you know, the flip cameras, the video flip cameras were largely like one of the inspirations for YouTube. And I just got taken back to so many like nightmares in my office of our bosses, like go, go, go outside, take the flip camera, film something, go do something. <laughs> Because they had no idea how any of it worked at the time. They're like, oh, we'll just put a video online. It'll go viral. I'm like, stop it. That is not. <laughs> and so, I mean, the part of the reason that TikTok has taken off is because it's it's easier. It's like simpler to, to upload videos with, with your phone on TikTok. Yeah. And I think that's something that the companies that were like Vine before TikTok was the first this wake up moment for YouTube where, you know, this I talk about this a lot in the book. There's this really interesting tension between YouTube, like guess in one way is it's pushing people to have higher production value because you're competing. If you're an online creator, you're competing with for, with Jimmy Kimmel and you're competing with like TV studios that have a lot of money and green screens and like production. And, and then on the other side, TikTok comes around and it's like, oh, it's super cheap and easy just to post a video with your phone. Uh, and, and, you know, YouTube wants all of it, right? It wants to have the cake and eat it too. And so... Uh, and, and now they're leaning in on they have YouTube shorts and and they're trying to convince people that it is just as simple. You can do kind of editing, um, complex editing and make 
make videos just on your phone. And and I mean, people, you know, TikTok and YouTube Shorts is a really great example where people are coming up with like phenomenally creative, innovative, weird ways to entertain. One of the reasons YouTube has been so successful, though, at least in my opinion, and I think you probably share a similar thought, is how easy it has is to use and how anybody can log on to YouTube and use that and figure out how to play a video, figure out how to search for a video. It is very, very, very user friendly. So I understand, like, you know, it might be easier for people to use a tick to use TikTok to upload. So maybe YouTube has to figure out a better way to to navigate that world. But like overall, as a site, I mean, the reason everybody uses it is because of how easy it is. Yes, it was an absolute reason why it was so successful early on um and, and, and the core sort of functionality hasn't really changed in, in 17 years um and i think you know google is they spent a lot of time and energy at one point you know the, the ceo of google sort of like his his the one thing he would come when he visited youtube would say like make sure there's like no buffering time like like make you make it as fast as possible so like the uh which they succeeded in doing i mean there's i think there's a lot of you can raise a lot of questions about well well they could have been paying attention to a lot of societal consequences and and harms of their platform but instead they were very focused on optimizing their product to make it as seamless as possible and, and in that way they, they succeeded Anytime somebody sends me a link with a Vimeo video in it, I'm like, oh, God, like this is going to take forever. Do I have time for this? And, and you're right. I mean, YouTube, and no disrespect to Vimeo, I understand. I respect it as a platform. But you're right. YouTube has found a way to remove the buffering, to remove all of the different things and just to make it like click and start. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think Vimeo is really originally tailored for like creatives yeah. and filmmakers. And and, and and early a lot of early YouTubers were that type. And and I talked to some who have, who have kind of burned out and left and they're like, you know, YouTube is great if you just want to churn out content. It is not good if you're trying to make something creative and artistic. Um, and I, I think that's the sacrifice that the company's made. Well, let's talk about creating for a minute because there's actually like a, a little uh, description of your book on the cover. It says the definitive, deeply reported account of YouTube, the company that upended media, culture, industry, and democracy. We already kind of talked about democracy a little bit with the misinformation thing. But industry, I mean, they have changed and created so many different jobs. I mean, the idea of content creator basically comes from YouTube. Like that's essentially where you where that comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think and and a lot. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand myself included. Like the actual a lot of the YouTube creators are not just running a, a show by themselves in their, in their basement, right? They have like production studios. They have staff. They have editors. They have you know, Mr. Beast is and if your audience knows like the most popular YouTuber right now. I think he's got more than 50 people working for him. Like Jeez. he's got a big operation and, and he's a bit of an outlier, but, but even, you know, some of the larger, like the most successful kids creators are, are basically running uh, entertainment studios. Uh, and, and, and that's absolutely changed the game. And, and, and like you talk to a lot, some of the YouTubers that uh, went on to work in movies and TV have come back to the platform and, and they feel more comfortable having creative control uh, they'd like being able to, to upload when and, and where they can, uh, as opposed to, to following you know, whatever a producer and, a, and an agent and director tells them to do. Uh, I mean, the other like just great example. Of, so YouTube was sued by Viacom early on. Viacom is a parent company of MTV. It was it, they were claiming that that YouTube was was using pirated material. YouTube won that lawsuit. Now, I think the most popular show on on MTV. I recently I haven't watched MTV in a long time. It is um, just a, it's a, a video or it's a, a show that just talks about viral videos. Ridiculousness. <laughs> like is, yes. There it is. Thank you. It's ridiculousness. It is just YouTube videos. 
Um, I just that's so, so funny to me that this was a company that fought so tooth and nail to like destroy this thing and is now uh, clearly YouTube has won, uh, not just the lawsuit, but in the culture. This is an unrelated point, but if you ever get bored and want to Google this, if you look up the daily schedule for MTV online, there are days where literally mm -hmm. the only thing on that channel is ridiculousness for 24 hours. They have like nothing else right now, but that show at this point. MTV was the kingmaker kind of around when YouTube was formed and, and, and MySpace was the hottest thing online. And so like, just, it's just remarkable how, how, how quickly things have changed. Well, yeah. I mean, YouTube has kind of taken over the music video aspect. You know what I mean? Like it totally reinvigorated music videos. They had almost essentially, you know, People were still making them, but no one gave a damn. Like, you barely ever saw them. You'd occasionally see them on a clip show once in a while. Then YouTube rolls around, and now all of a sudden, it's a big business once again. Like, people invest millions into music video. Professional boxing uh, has been sort of uh, uh, reinvigorated by, uh, like, KSI and, and Logan Paul and Jake Paul, these YouTubers that are now boxing celebrities and stars. I mentioned earlier that I watch late night clips and I remember specifically Seth Meyers talking about um, when they switched to be broadcasting from home during the pandemic, the first couple of weeks were really rough. Obviously, everyone's making a change they weren't expecting. So sure, there's going to be some bumps in the road. But he said they actually reached out to popular YouTubers and said, like, hey, help us. Like, how can we make this look better? How can we do this? And and yeah. honestly, like it's increased his viewership on both levels from TV and online. And I don't understand anyone that doesn't put their clips or their, you know, their moments on YouTube now because all it can do is increase your brand at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's as far as the clips and footage, you know, we're still like the big media companies are also Disney Plus and, and Paramount. Like they're sure. all sort of trying to compete in the so streaming. And so, you, you know, you just this is despite YouTube's efforts, like I think in, in YouTube, an ideal world would rather have Disney Plus live on YouTube than on Disney Plus. Sure. Uh, but, you know, comp studios like Disney have not have not have kept their prized IP away from YouTube. Um, yeah, I, I think the calculus there, you know, Disney even invested one point in a, in a major, uh, YouTube studio and that sort of, f uh, flailed. So, um, I, I think you, you're right that like a lot of late night TV and music videos have come on, uh, it's still been the traditional media was, was for a long time, uh, reluctant to, to put things on YouTube and, and, and because the economics weren't as great. And I still think, you know, that that's the thing that, that YouTube has struggled with is getting, uh, rates for their advertising and, and other forms of commerce on par with with traditional media. I, I think my my point that I was trying to make is, you know, take out the Disney pluses, take out the Paramount pluses and all that. But like you look at something, just say hypothetically, like the Grammy Awards award shows in general, viewership has been way down over the years because people just aren't as interested. But for many years, I remember working at a radio station and going in the next morning to talk about what happened the night before. And you couldn't find clips of the show online like you couldn't go to YouTube and find the videos of the performances. Or if you did, it would be removed immediately by YouTube. And I would always think to myself, like, mm -hmm. I get it you want this intellectual property but at the same time all this can do is reach another person that didn't watch your show the previous night and then maybe maybe that inspires them to come back another time or that inspires them to check out more from that artist so really there's no downside to say posting a moment from a show or something like that yeah i don't expect disney to post all their movies on there but like but i think from that perspective like you know the the cma awards the country music awards like all the like i think there's a lot of benefit to posting that content on there because you're just reaching an audience maybe that wouldn't watch you yeah i think you're right I and mean, that's certainly that's certainly youtube's argument um forgive my brain here the timeline of youtube and google where when did google come into play uh early super early yeah i thought uh, it was pretty 18, early 
18 months um so after, sort of, after their launch um yeah it was so it was uh the fall of 2006 uh when, when google made that acquisition and um yeah i i um, my sense is that a, a primary reason youtube was a, a really popular destination like google was trying with google video yeah. to compete um and and it was sort of what they say in, in here in silicon valley of like you either build something or you buy it um <laughs> YouTube was also and still remains uh, a, a huge search platform. Like it is just this this phenomenal search engine, and I think Google and new Google was was attracted to YouTube because uh, it was a threat to their search business and it's like the gatekeeper to the internet, um, and still this like phenomenal property that they own. Because and, and you can see that where like YouTube is is so vast and and like it's there's it's you know kind of difficult to search for something and not find it there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I know I think about whenever I'm trying to pronounce somebody's name and you can easily yeah, go to Google really and look it handy. up. I'm like, I go straight to YouTube. I'm like, there's got to be a news story about this person and they're going to say it and I'll be able to say like, okay, well, I watched this on whatever channel and now I know how to pronounce this person's name. Yeah. And, and when yeah Google, I've always wondered about who, who uploads his videos. I know. I think it's fantastic. I mean, Google took over. YouTube was still, like you said, it was still so brand new. Like, it's interesting to think like they took it over or they bought it at a time when they were just essentially trying to take a competitor, competitor off the market, and they've turned it into this massive financial moneymaker, too. I mean, it's this thing has grown so much. Uh, I, it has grown so much. I think one thing that I found out in, in reporting the book was that it wasn't always guaranteed. Like, yeah. there was one point in, in a few, even a few years, like 2008 or 2009, where, like, the, the chief financial officer at Google was like, why are this thing is a terrible business YouTube. Like, why are we invested in this, right? Like, this, that they weren't profitable. Um you know, when they really started to to become commercially successful about uh, around 2017, they had this massive advertiser boycott and uh, and and like this big existential crisis and that uh, forced them to make a, a whole bunch of changes. But and, and, you know, to be clear, like YouTube has all they disclose to the public and their financials is their advertising business. They, we don't know how much money Google spends to pay content moderators sure. uh we don't know like the margin how much they they pay pay to creators well I, I mean another fact we don't know how much of you know youtube has um trumpeted the number that they paid 30 billion dollars to online broadcasters in a three-year span it's a huge amount of money uh that we don't know how much of that goes to jimmy kimmel's station abc sure uh how much of it goes to taylor swift's record label and then how much of it goes to like you or me if we were to upload a video that's the other thing, too, because there's a quote uh, about how the oh, I can't think of her name right now, the woman that runs YouTube, um, that she said, that you, thank you, that uh, that YouTube is a music site. And I think it's so interesting that that's a thought process. And I know there is a ton of music on there. I mean, every time a new album comes out, you go on YouTube and you can find an individual video for every single song released by the artist, not by somebody that's uploading it and trying to get the music out there. It's on the artist page. It's so interesting that it is a competitor for something like Spotify. Like I never would have thought of that a couple of years ago, but it is really is. It is a fascinating thing. Uh, I mean, that was, that's an area where YouTube has struggled, relatively speaking, to to tap because they have, to exactly your point, it's the biggest music service in the world by, by like just by viewership. Um, but they haven't really turned the dial and, and flipped the switch to make it something to compete with Spotify and Apple Music. They're trying, like they have sure. YouTube Music, YouTube Premium. Um, you know, they, they, like they tried in prior, I read about this a little bit in the book. They like try an earlier attempt. The problem was they didn't know how to categorize what's music. 
Um, and an example that like when executive brought up was like, uh, originally they didn't have the frozen soundtrack and he's like, well, my daughter, my daughter, that's music. And it, there's a lot of views in the frozen soundtrack. Right. So like, I, I think just the fact that so much of YouTube is like really hard to categorize. Um, but, but they, even, so it's even with, with relatively minimal effort, they are the world's biggest use music service and probably the biggest podcasting service too. Sure. Just because, yeah, like, and, and they're now taking a, a much more intentional effort to get podcasts to like, Hey, if you're a podcaster, why don't you record a video? And with like a touch of a couple of clicks, you can upload this to YouTube, which is um, great for YouTube. That is just a lot of hours of footage. They can go to advertisers and say, you know, we want to look at how many hours of footage people watch. It's a, you know, it's a thornier content moderation problem too, but like YouTube is still interested in, 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 getting as much volume of content as possible. Sounds kind of like the uh, the business model for my big major company that I work for. It's uh, quantity, not quality on some of these things. Like, the more we have, the more we can say we have, but doesn't necessarily mean any, it's any good. Uh, that is absolutely true. <laughs> well, uh, Mark, I, I know I only have you for a couple more minutes here, but I just I want to get a timeline from you really quick of when you started this book and how it came together here. Because I know when, we're, when I'm talking to an author, generally the book's been done for about a year at the point that I'm speaking to them. So when did you start this and when did you you know put the wraps on it? Uh, I started at the uh, very beginning of 2020. I was you know going out and meeting with former YouTube employees, really giddy to like have all these in-person meetings. And then... <laughs> That clearly sure. ended. Uh, yeah, and then I actually started. I think pencils down was was May of this past uh, this past May. So mm. not not a year ago. Oh, okay. Um, and you know, I I think it, you, certainly like maybe the paperback edition could could spend more time on TikTok. Like TikTok was kind of growing, uh, but it was hard. It was even and I mentioned it a little bit in the book, but it uh, certainly in, in the past year, it's just become this this phenomenon and 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 really reshaping how YouTube's responding in a way. Yeah, so it's almost three years of my my life. Well, you did a fantastic job here. And if you do expand in the paperback version, I can't wait to see uh, what you have to say there because I love what you've done with this book. Mark Bergen, the book is called Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination. Is there a place people can go if they want to follow along with you? Or I know you write uh, for different publications as well. So is there a place that they can go to see your other uh, oh, work? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm primarily with with uh, I primarily write with Bloomberg yeah. uh, Bloomberg News. And, and I'm on, on Twitter, like, like all of us. Uh, M-H Bergen, B-E-R-G-E-N. Great. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for this book. I've always been so fascinated by YouTube. And I love that we have this like, you know, encyclopedia almost, if you will, of all the information to take us through the history. This is really, really great stuff. Thanks, Jeff. It was really fun. Appreciate it. Big thank you to Mark Bergen for his time today. His book, Like, Comment, Subscribe, Inside YouTube's Chaotic Rise to World Domination is available now wherever you get your books. And thank you to all of you for listening to Adult Education this week. Until next time, be well.